I'm Laura Vinroot Poole. For over 20 years, I've owned Capital, an internationally recognized specialty store in Charlotte, North Carolina. On this podcast, we unlock the stories of people's lives through the stories of what they wore. These aren't conversations about fashion. These are conversations about people. Everybody wants to know her Jane Scott Hodges is the founder of Leontine Linens in New Orleans. I treasure the beautiful cocktail napkins, linens, and towels that will become my family's heirlooms. From tough times after Hurricane Katrina to rebuilding a Kentucky-based embroidery business, Jane Scott's stories are endlessly entertaining. Jane Scott Hodges, I am so happy that you're here. We have tried to get you on the calendar and you evaded us and we pulled you from the store (laughs) upstairs at 830 in the morning to do a podcast. You're here. Well, I'm so happy to be here. I'm always <laughs> happy to be in this office with you or wandering the store, getting in all means of trouble. <laughs> I'm not Philip's favorite person. You are, in fact, Philip's favorite person. <laughs> how did we meet? I was pondering this, how we met, and we met, I believe, right after you were on the cover <laughs> of Domino, the good old Domino that we so adored. <laughs> And you were so precious. I'll never forget that picture on the cover. And there, I think there was Leontine on the bed. And there was somewhere there after you contacted me and said, would you ever come and do a trunk show at Capitol? And I was like, I'm on the way. And I remember thinking, you know, after being here and witnessing what the magic of this place and what you've created for your clientele, the, the thought of you bringing in linens you know, some home items to your mix kind of took me aback. Because you'd never really done that before. And you don't really do it, I guess, in any other clothing store. But you know, we we rented a bed. uh, (laughs) There was nothing small about the event, okay? You all don't do anything. It's not perfection. And we just, we got a bed brought in. Yeah, that was really casual. Into the courtyard. (laughs) Really casual. That was fun times. Yeah, and some people ended up in the bed. Yes, they did. And they will we'll remain unnamed. I had to clean. Anyway, so I think what it really meant to me is it opened up my mind to understand kind of how you curate for your clients and how you introduce them to kind of the best of the best or kind of what's new and, and out there that can enhance the beauty of their life. And the fact that you saw it outside of the body and what you put on your body but of course it's the whole picture of how you live and so just that validation I think of you bringing me in to say you guys have to have these linens like this is the best well and they all do now they do (laughs) sometimes I'm like hmm what can I what can I show these ladies (laughs) their closets are brimming with Leontine and capital beauty uh beauty is clothing well tell me how this all began like you're from Kentucky Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> what part? Grew up in central Kentucky, right outside of Lexington, in a little town called Georgetown. Uh-huh. Really idyllic childhood. You know, I think we all had that where we rode bikes and played kickball till dusk, and then <laughs> we knew we had to get home to the dinner table. No one was logging us in or tracking us on 360 or worried about us. We were just My out. My mom had an actual dinner bell that she would yeah. ring every night. Yeah. We were out playing kickball. I mean, we had like the 
Yeah, the Georgetown gang. We were like this, <laughs> like, we had this whole little group of friends. Ruffians. And you went to boarding school. You we know, have a shared experience. We, that, we do. We bonded immediately over that. Yeah. One always does bond over the, the, <laughs> the trauma. <laughs> so I was in Kentucky and I think I just kind of was like, you know, what, what else is going on in the world? I might need to do something else. My parents never pushed it on me. My father had gone to the same school and I just said one day I'd like to go look. And you know, that was an eye-opening thing. A girl with a double name from Kentucky matriculating <laughs> to the East Coast in 1984 was a little shocking to the environment up there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah a little that, bit. But you were not soon forgotten. Never uh, And forgotten. Your, children, your children have followed you, so you definitely mm-hmm. haven't been forgotten. You'll have to talk to them about that. <laughs> a funny story is about when I got to Taft, you know, and it's like, oh, my God, where do you shop? Do you Did you have shoes in Kentucky? What? And I'm like, Oh my God, no. I said, my daddy rode me up on his horse to New York City and bought me these shoes on my way here. No. It wasn't that bad, but kind but of. Kind of, yeah. Kind I did of. have my guest printed jeans, you know, a few right things, but basically I left the entire trunk of kilts and Geiger jackets oh. that my mother sent me with. I wish I had that trunk now, but all the Austrian Geiger jackets, all the uh, kilts, never put them on the Taft School. No, I, are you kidding me? I have like six kilts. I might have 10 kilts. I, I mean, still. My mother's still irate that I left that trunk up there. And then got to New Orleans via Tulane. Oh, yeah. In a hot minute. Yeah. So after three <laughs> years in Connecticut, all my friends were matriculating to very small East Coast liberal arts colleges. And I was like, I'll be in New Orleans if y'all want to visit because, and I say y'all, like, funnel, you know, it's a joke. But I just was said, I know where there's a nice town, a big town, a good time. And the drinking age was 18. I mean, what more could lure a child to, um, you know, to New Orleans than that? But actually, I had a familial history there. My grandmother, my father's mother, was from New Orleans. And she married my grandfather, moved to Kentucky, but moved back to New Orleans. And so as a young child, I always visited New Orleans. And it just held an incredible magic for me. I mean, I just... The rattling streetcars. I just had rose-colored lenses, you know, everything about the city, and um, was lucky enough to get to college there. I remember saying to my parents, are y'all nuts? Why would you have sent me to Tulane? And they're like, well, we wanted to visit. Right. I love it. So the funny little part of my history is that I was conceived in New Orleans. So... (laughs) I always said so to my parents, home. guess what my dad was doing a rotation down there for medical school. So I, my parents were married, and I was <laughs> created there, born in Philly. I love it. What did you study in college? Um, I was an English major. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's good. Well, you can talk, and you can read. I was, there was an intervention <laughs> where my father said, you were born speaking it. <laughs> we don't really feel like that's a major. <laughs> Yeah, only from a doctor would that come out. And I was like, well, Daddy, I don't know. You know, it's like at this point, he's like, let's just get her out of college. I think that'll be fine. <laughs> and tell me how linens came about. Did you always love linens? You know, I think all of our lives are such a confluence of events and the things that we've experienced. And, you know, sure. You know, I always loved beautiful things. I always, you know, had my matching Laura Ashley comforters at the Taft School. Showed up with my roommate from New York. Was like, okay, here we go. You know, <laughs> the Ming, familiar. the blue and white Ming. <laughs> yes, and I always had beautiful linens. And it's kind of funny that wasn't really. I wasn't like, ooh, I'm going to start a linens company one day when I grow up. You know, at six years old, it was nothing like that. 
But it was really at the time, you know, after I graduated, you know, I'd been in New Orleans. I had been immersed in this rich history and culture and beauty of the city. And I went back to Kentucky to plan my wedding, which uh we mentioned I left at the age of 14. Imagine moving back at 25 to plan your wedding. I'll spend the summer with my parents. Oh, God. Won't that be fun? (laughs) That was really an incredible time. But it was a special time to be at home and planning my wedding. And my parents had restored the 1780 stone farmhouse that my, they'd always owned the farm, but they'd never lived on it. And that had just been completed. I think at that time, all those beautiful treasures like that my mother had collected that had always been around me, but just that rich familial history of the portraits, these journals, family photographs. I mean, she had really taken everything and gone and bought things that ended up in auction, you know, silver, all those things. But all of a sudden, these linens were before me that had belonged to my great-grandmother for whom I was named, Jane Scott Offit. And it was all JSO, which had always been my monogram. And I was like, these are so beautiful. There's nothing like this anymore. Like, there's nothing in the world like this. And I came upon this incredible workroom, the Eleanor Beard Studio in Hardinsburg, Kentucky. And had you known about it at all? Well, as it turns out, you bringing up my childhood bedroom, I had had these blanket covers, these yellow with like little ruffle with the big appliques and the floral appliques. And those had all been Eleanor Beard. But they'd come through different channels. Right. You know, you look at someone, a pioneer in a business in 1929 in the Great Depression, and this woman, Eleanor Beard, started her namesake company having quilts made and all these beautiful treasures that could be made in that time. Really, her husband owned a bunch of land, and she came upon all this wool in the attic of the general store on their property. And she's like, what is this? (laughs) You know, sternly, probably, to her husband. He's like, well, the farmers can't pay me. They're giving me wool. She's like, oh, my God. You know, what? Of course. Like, of course, the logical woman, she's like, loads it up in her car, drives to Louisville, has it cleaned and batted, and brings it back and kind of launched this whole business of quilting. And it was almost like indigenous to the area, like Glass to Murano, or, you know, this talent existed. And these women could work by the piece at home. (laughs) So when their children would go to bed, they'd pull down the um, rack and they'd quilt on that. And then they'd be able to turn in the piece for money. Wow. And her business was really launched that way. And she was selling to all the 1920s, great... 1920s, you said? Yeah, the Great Depression. And wow. she was selling to all the clients on the East Coast. I mean, really, I can leap forward a little bit. When Martha Stewart contacted me to do some things um, with her magazine, I think when she saw the box of samples that somehow had gotten up there in the way it used to before mm-hmm. Instagram and social media, but in the old-fashioned ways, <laughs> I think she really recognized those pieces from Edsel Ford's estate, which she had purchased. Because wow. the, all the, you know, when you buy an old home like that, it's filled with all the linens of the generations. And, yeah. you know, that's who they were creating things for. White House, you know, all those things. You wow. know, there were always these pieces. And a, a company like that in a very rural area, by the time I land there, if we fast forward back to present and, you know, 95, you know, they were just a workroom, right? They were just producing things. So by the time I showed up, they were just a kind of a quiet vendor, you know, making things for big labels. I got there and was doing my trousseau and nightgowns and all those things you did and lingerie bags. And we still do your favorite things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The bed jackets. <laughs> the bed jackets. The more old fashioned, the better <laughs> for Laura. You know, I kind of had this aha moment. Like, Did you go there? Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Went to, my mother and I drove there. Mm-hmm. 
and you know kind of spent the day and the ladies are just it's just a magic place I mean I really could spend hours talking about this and I know we don't have hours but oh I wish you would though uh, <laughs> it's fascinating. I mean it's actually the book I need to do yeah it is because the story hasn't been told everyone's attention is so short that it's hard to track it all the way back mm-hmm. and get let them understand that a woman like Eleanor Beard in the 1920s it's wearing a big hoop skirt getting on a train with a box of samples <laughs> selling her wares in New York I can no longer cry about my cramped seat on Delta Airplane, okay? Like, poor little me. I'm not in pantyhose, okay? I'm not living any kind of life like this. And she was a tough lady. Like, the, you know, a lot of the evolution of the ladies who are still with us at the studio, you know, their mothers and aunts, you know, all worked there before them. And, I mean... She walked in that building, and I don't think anybody uttered a word. I think she was scary, stern. So do you think you're much different? She never pulled a stitch. No, we, well, yes. I'm so approachable, but no. Um, and so, you, and y'all ended up buying Eleanor Beard Studio. So I go down. I start doing this, and Philip said, you know, Jane Scott, you really need to name this. You can't just be selling Eleanor Beard. You know, you need to, you know, I think you need to brand this a little bit. And I was like, oh, darling, I'm just going to, you know, do this to have babies. Surely I'm not going to work my whole life. But I'm such a people person. I love meeting people. So that's why I think it's worked so beautifully. But nevertheless, I couldn't come up with a name. I was struggling, you know. Bellerive, you know, but every lingerie <laughs> company owns every Frenchy name. When you start going to try to trademark it, it's like, seriously. That is hilarious. Yeah. So then one day, I think my father just got tired of me. You know, I would call home, Mom, what am I going to call it? And she'd be like, I don't know. And then we'd have all these like long talks. So one day my father picked up the phone. And he goes, why don't you call it Leontine Lennon's Limited and be done with it? And I was like, oh, my God. The name of my business was a step out my front door. I lived on Leontine, our first little cottage when Philip and I married and had our children. And so really my first baby was born on Leontine like my other two. I mean, this is still remains probably the one I've held closest to my chest. The one that sticks around. (laughs) The one that sticks around. It's just been such an incredible evolution of of it because it has when I say I've kept it so close you know we're not at market we're not pub- you can't get it I mean if you know Jane Scott you can get it it's a really <laughs> great marketing plan let me tell you <laughs> it is it's hard to it's hard to get to but once you do and you really start to unfold it it's it's really the treasures and the heirlooms you get to create to enhance your own lives and it, your children and you can't you really can't use anything else afterwards I mean it's just <laughs> you know it's just it's too beautiful and special and it's also the best gift. The most thoughtful gift. Yeah. And so how did the business change after you acquired Eleanor Beard Studio? In 2002, this thing launched off, right? I name it. We start rolling. I go to New York. You know, my dear friend, Angel Parlange, I was going to New York. She said, you should meet Keith Langham. He picked up the phone and called Charlotte. I mean, it's always been this incredible word yeah. of mouth. And Charlotte Moss, who still remains, you know. The biggest champion. Yes, absolutely. I'm just so lucky for all the friendships like you. So everything was really kicking off. And I'm like, why are people in New York wanting this? Like, why in the world? They have a linen shop on every corner. Why do they want Leontine? Well, you know, we were making it custom to order yeah. one piece at a time, the old-fashioned way. Nothing else was real readily available like it. You know, here came this little double-name girl from, you know, now New Orleans Charmer. with a bag of treats. Tricks. Bag of, you know, one article put me yeah. as like Mary Poppins. I was like, okay, Well, no. that is one of the things that you can't, you typically go to someone's house, often mm-hmm. go to someone's house, which I think is unusual too. And it's a lot of, it, we do our business that way quite a lot too. We do. Because it's so, it's so intimate. It's so personal. Well, first of all, I'm selling the most personal of things, you know, your yeah. linens, your towels, the things you are with every step of the way. When you wake up in the morning with a towel, you know, you dine all day with napkin, you tuck into your bed at night, 
into those cold, wonderful Percal oh, heavenly sheets. With the birds. Those are my fave. Oh. <laughs> and the thing is, is all day long, I'm trying to get back to the bed. I don't know about you, but I like, I'm like, how do I get back here the minute I get out of this? Um, but the, the home appointment, while it started off because we didn't have a store, really remains it's our most special opportunity because we don't charge for it which some days I'm like hmm <laughs> but we come in and it's like a cheat sheet for me I see how you live I see yeah. the things you love it immediately shows me what you might want and so it's just an incredible time and opportunity it also creates real relationships I mean I think that mm-hmm. some of your your oldest clients are some of your oldest friends Fine. So, so in 2002 so, I'm yeah. sorry no. they called me and they say we're closing oh god and I was like what wait, wait, we just got this party started. <laughs> you can't close. And luckily at that time, Philip had come aboard and really kind of projected the growth and could see what this was turning into. And if he hadn't been aboard at that moment, I bet we wouldn't have done this. Yeah. We went to the studio to say goodbye. You know, I'm from Kentucky, so I'm about two hours from the studio. And every time I would go home, I would throw a kid or my mom or somebody in the car and we'd take some prawlings and go visit the ladies. <laughs> so they knew me. Mm-hmm. You know, they knew me in a different way than just my barking at them from New York, asking them for where their orders were <laughs> and trying to ch- cheat them of money. You know, I was just this little, you know, okay, I'm coming to visit. So the day I went to visit, we were home like Derby weekend. We went down to say goodbye. And Nancy, who had managed the studio for umpteen years, and that, uh, the impetus of the closing was her retirement. There wasn't anybody to really manage this. The Beards didn't own it anymore. Right. Like so it. on her deathbed, Eleanor Beard proclaimed that no one in her family would ever own her business. <laughs> yeah. She sounds great. <laughs> she was fabulous. <laughs> so it went into the hands of kind of her manager. You know, they had a store on Park Avenue where the yeah. Foshan building was. It's since been torn down on Park and like, I believe it was like 57. Huh. She had a New York presence. Wow. I mean, she had a salon. Much like your store she had a store where the ladies could go and visit mm. and get together like men had their clubs yeah. she created this environment and then they could see all their wares uh. and they could sit and they would smoke the green tipped taffeta tipped <laughs> Eleanor Beard oh. cigarette oh my God. and visit and have their coffee or tea or probably a little whiskey after that it came into the hands of that manager but she had you know a handicap illness so it ended up getting into the hands of the daughter and her husband and they had it for a short while and then it went back into the hands of the ladies who actually had worked there Hmm. so that's how I think in the 70s linens then went out of vogue Mm -hmm. department stores were not stocking them people weren't monogramming everything you know this was really (laughs) thank god for the 80s yeah (laughs) well the 80s and then so by the time we came along so literally we had a step we were again you know walking out and Nancy said you wouldn't buy us would you and we went Oh, my God. Wow. Wait, what? And on our way out of Hardensburg, we drove over to the lawyer's office and took this giant leap of faith, bought it. Mm. We didn't know if they were going to stay, go, but everyone was so grateful. They don't move. We spent the summer there. And one of the ladies from the studio's sister, you know, kindly took in my children during the daytime. You know, we go to Dairy Queen for an ice cream in the afternoon. I mean, we were like in well, I mean, the sticks. Is, we had to move the studio. To, mm-hmm. Oh, you did. But also to, for you, I mean, what a completely new business for you to, to run a, to run a workroom. Yeah, right. Hadn't been my intention to have 28 ladies yeah. sewing for me and you know, hard. And we're the largest like? private employer in Breckenridge County, I think. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of, and that part of the story doesn't get told. It really, we are American made. We are doing this all here. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
the, the things that are created last forever. And I just don't get to talk about that as much as I'd like to. Yeah. Because, you know, the talent and the gift and the pride mm. for them of what they create every day. And just for us to become caretakers. But what was really crazy is here came Katrina in 2005. Yeah, I was going to ask you about and that. And <laughs> guess what happened? They saved us right back. Because then we had kind of a harbor and a headquarters. People were getting packages like the week after the levees broke, and they're like creeped out. They're like, why do we have packages from Leontine Lennons? Well, we just rerouted everything to ship from the studio Mm. instead of coming to us in New Orleans and then shipping. So that kind of helped us streamline the business because we're like, why are we shipping to Louisiana before we ship to Kentucky? But it was because I was such a freak. I wanted to see every piece and inspect it. But they can do that. They were the ones, you know, creating it. It's not like we're on a factory line. My favorite thing is everything you receive has has been signed by the ladies who made it which and I really just, yes ugh. I mean and that, that's important to me and then, and y'all ended up moving to Kentucky after Katrina yes that was just a crazy time period and Philip and I you know the kids were young and I'd been away as I mentioned since I was 14 and I'd never lived at home never thought I'd ever live at home and I was living at home in the house <laughs> with the parents with the children <laughs> I mean, it was some crazy days because we all had to put our kids in school. Like, there, it was the third day of school when we all pinged out. Yeah. And so here I am living at my parents. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the two children, driving them to school every day. Like, I was driven from Georgetown because my parents' farm is, again, 30 minutes outside of Lexington, where I grew up, 30 minutes outside of Lexington. It was like Groundhog Day, and I'd pull in the driveway <laughs> of Sarah's school like, oh, my God. And um, <laughs> drop off my children cross-eyed. I remember my mother taking me to this party and – it was a dove hunting party because it was Labor Day, and I was like, wow, social events around bird. I mean, it was like, where am I? <laughs> Toto is no longer in New Orleans. Uh, where have I landed? But, of course, those are all the things you know I recall from my childhood. And I guess in some way, while bittersweet, it gave me this opportunity to be home with my parents, and my dad had had some real health problems. And I think it was just that time frame where I was like, this is okay. We can raise our kids here and, like, bought this beautiful home. And that, that gave me a whole different perspective you know, on entertaining. It kind of was an evolution for me in my business, if you will. I think it was. For sure. And we were two hours from the studio. So we were now on the backside of the business that we kind of just assumed was rolling along. But Mm -hmm. now we're on the backside of it. We have this opportunity to kind of really look at what we had. And did you go into the studio every day? Well, no, it's two and a half hours away. So no. So Philip kind of commuted there. We were at Bergdorf at the time. So we had become the exclusive linen line at Bergdorf Goodman. So we were able to kind of switch our gear to focus on that business Mm -hmm. because New Orleans, we just didn't know. Mm -hmm. We had opened our showroom two weeks before Katrina we had I had finally opened the big store like mm. your gorgeous capital like which taking was, that moment which is two weeks before the recession hit yeah no we were like on the we've had such a similar <laughs> we really have. path but don't um, you th- but I, I agree like don't you think it really made your business because one it tested your will I guess you know is this something you really want to do and how do you want to do it and who are you and why are you doing it I mean, I think well, the resilience—it's like you with the recession, like opening your big grand store, and like, oh, okay, this is gonna be fun. (laughs) So, this is the thing I think for both of us as mothers and wives, and who people have created their own business. Which, congratulations, you know, (laughs) we don't acknowledge what we do as women. I don't think we have any idea what we do. We don't, and we have no idea how resilient we are. None. Well, we do now a little bit. (laughs) But you get in those situations and you're like, I am going to make this decision and I'm going to be okay with it because I have to raise my children. I have to be a wife and I have to run my business. And being there in proximity, you know, to the workroom, 
close to New York. Kentucky, oddly, like it was like easy airport for me to get anywhere. We kept the store open in New Orleans. We were always in New Orleans. We kept that presence. I needed my mama. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like I was traumatized. <laughs> I was like, I mean, and I had everything. Our house didn't flood. We did not have, you know, the the hardships that many people had. But in the same token, my life was uprooted too, and my children, and I had to give them, you know, what I thought was important in that time frame. And like I said, you know, we'd never lived there. But it also really showed me on a personal level what my product really means mm. because when you live in the country you got to make your fun because people have got to come out to you you right. have to recruit <laughs> them and so that's where I kind of evolved in this whole idea of table linens yeah. and color on the table and all that fun stuff I love and entertaining but like taking it down to a notch where we like to entertain and not just be like white crisp hem stitch linens like how do we mix in the color and kind of evolve the way we give an experience to our friends mm-hmm. and the way we gather and I think that that was kind of a really huge part of it for me do you have a favorite heirloom that you received from your mom or your grandmother I mean I have those beautiful linens with JSO I have like incredible linens from my grandmother Celeste who you know of course always we called Celeste uh-huh. okay she was like not exactly the sit on your lap grandma <laughs> but she was the awesome grandmother when you matriculate to college and she's like let me tell you the poo on this family and we'd go drink wine at her little French restaurant she was fluent in French you know yeah. she only Hello. she taught yeah during segregation she went to Plaquemines Parish and took her Paris Match magazines to teach her French um, <laughs> she was like well that's what I know I'm Phi Beta Kappa you know from Newcomb in French but she was so so crazy like she was so liberal she was so fascinating and such the antithesis of my other grandmother that of course mm-hmm. nurtured me and you know for whom I was named and just like this loving that would come stay with us when our parents traveled you know those grandparents mm-hmm. and then you had Celeste and she <laughs> was just like firecracker I have so many beautiful linens from her and her grandmother and so I have this like Louisiana that collection of beauties and then I have like the Kentucky heirlooms and then of course my mother-in-law you know joy so a lot of the things that started happening Laura is I would sneak into people's closets Mm. when they so graciously let me into the (laughs) linens I'd say hmm might I take a peek and then I started getting really inspired by their family heirlooms yeah and I, you know, I would dig up things out of Joy's closet, and she would laugh, and she'd like, oh, what'd you find this time? I mean, it was like my umpteenth time in her linen closets. And I would say, God, what was this? And she's like, oh, and they would be these little cutout, you know, like the towel rotted 20 years ago, but the monogram she'd cut out, and they were just this, you just find these little pieces around. And one of them was this really chic Art Deco monogram, that, and she's like, well, those are my father's like you know grandfather's towels and that was his monogram very deco it's called the halpin after him which was his middle name Mm. so I began to kind of really explore other people's heirlooms but then I reinterpreted it in like 12 inch hot pink corded (laughs) in black whatever it was so it was kind of how it all started back way back was that idea of taking something very traditional and making it a little more modern and fun. Well, I also love the idea of being inspired by your clients. Aren't we all? Yeah, we are. I mean, we should be. I mean, I mean all it's sort of, we it's do sort of like, is learn from our clients. Well, exactly. I mean, I think it's listening, you know, that you should always be listening instead of talking. That's not my best gift. <laughs> I've um, learned a lot from you. <laughs> You've taught me absolutely. 
look, I was lucky because I was working out of my house. Yeah. So I, you know, was able to be very flexible. You know, you look at a career attorney, you look at a CEO, like, but I worked. And I've, I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't worked. You know, yeah. I don't think that was ever Nightmare. something that, you know, while I joked about like, oh, darling, you know, <laughs> this is just till I have children, you know. Being a working mother, <clears throat> did you have mentors and how to do that? Because I, I don't feel like I did so much. And I mean, I guess just with the amount of travel that you and I both do, I've had a difficult time navigating just how to do it well. And there's so much guilt, but also so much. I'm also so proud of working and showing my daughter that I work. But how did you navigate? Yeah, I think that's well, I think we all just do what we have to do. And I think we all, you know, we're just in the moment and doing it. Mm -hmm. And we don't even realize what it all means. Right. I think that the gift of it is indeed showing them, you know, what we can do, Philip, because I'm the travel part of it. He never was. So I was always out on the road, but he was home. We share another thing in common, you more than I, but we both work with our husbands. Your husband, Philip, works in your business. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. How is that? How have you navigated that? You know, it's interesting. I think Philip has the patience of Job, okay? He does. I think that (laughs) Philip had a really strong mother whom I adored, whom I miss every day of my life. Yeah. Yeah. So he was pretty well versed in (laughs) a lot of conversation from the female in the house. You know, when Philip came aboard, it was such a natural event because, you know, he saw almost more than I saw what this was going to be. And he believed. And if it weren't for his support in that time period, when the kids were little, you know, when I was traveling some, that kind of really picked up later, the traveling. But I did abandon, you know, the family for like six weeks to move to New York to install Bergdorf, lived at the Lombardi. You know, so there were sacrifices made on both our parts. I'm like the show pony. I'm out front having fun, meeting people, going to parties. Look at me. Like, everyone's like, oh, I'm like business trip. They're like, okay, business yeah, trip, right. Jane Scott. Um, but it is. And that's because I'm so blessed to be in a business where I get to meet people. So now that the kids are both kind of been gone, you know, empty nesters, I occasionally bring Philip along for the ride. Like last night, being here in Charlotte, everyone's like, where's Philip? Where's Philip? Because he'd been here in May with me. Yeah. So occasionally, like he was in New York with me last week. Everyone's like, "Oh yay, Philip's here!" So Philip <laughs> gets to be kind of this gift. special guest. Yeah, special guest. <laughs> and what's funny is at one point in my career, I was like, "Philip, we got to move to New York. Like we're gonna this, we're gonna miss out. This is gonna be a big time." And he goes, "Jane Scott, I have to tell you something." <laughs> and I was like, "What's that?" And he goes, "You're only charming because you don't live there. <laughs> if they had to see you on a daily basis, this would not be, you know." <laughs> And I was like, all right. So now, Laura, I will say to you, perhaps Philip's living that little life. Now he's the charming one because he gets to show up and, you know. I love it. Mm -hmm. But it's been really fun. Purchasing Eleanor Beard was the big thing, you know, that really took us to that next level. But Philip goes to work every day and it's like, when are you coming to the office? Are you coming to the office? You know, so he's operating the workrooms. He's dealing with all the logistics. You know, we buy all our materials, we cut and sew every piece to order. There's a lot to manage that God knows is not my forte. I'm a little English <laughs> major with a big mouth, you know. No. You're a good you're so, a good dude. It's been a it's been a real he is really amazing. A lot to tolerate here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. A lot to love. At the end of every podcast we ask what people wore to the prom. I can't wait to hear what you wore. Well, you know, I've dressed like a 40-year-old since I was 14, so there has been that. It was really bad, you know, 87, and, you know, it wasn't really prom because we were boarding school, right? right? What was it? I don't know what it was. Christmas, I don't know. It was bad. It was like a gold lame kind of inset, like sweater, like with a skirt, like a little modern. 
I don't know, maybe maybe like mid, you know, length skirt, you know, because we none of us showed anything below above our ankles. <laughs> if you remember the days of our Laura Ashley Perry skirts, yes, any sort of hair paraphernalia? No, no, I've, this hair's always looked about like this. I mean, this hair is not very, you know, much. The look was not a keeper. God, who loved anything in the I mean, the 80s are back, but I look at that, I'm like, oh, I wore that. I can't wear that again. You know, like, oop. <laughs> we got to be a little careful about the repeating of some of that stuff. I'm starting to embrace it. Jane Scott, I loved having you here. Thank you. We have so much more to talk about. <laughs> we Thank can do you. part two. Let's do part two. Thank you so much for all you've taught me and the way you've opened up my eyes. And love you. Love you. What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. What We Wore is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.